Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Imprint Companion, the podcast that goes through the glorious selection of physical media through Australia's latest, greatest boutique Blu-ray label, Imprint Films. I am one half of your team of excavators of all things physical media, Blake Howard. Joining me as always is my partner in crime and facial hair, Alexi Toliopoulos. Sir, welcome back to another Imprint Companion together. We are companions in this companion podcast. It's been a minute, Blake. There's been some <laughs> great releases in the last little while, uh, but this is our first time podcasting together on the Imprint Companion podcast. And we've got quite an interesting batch here today. There's a couple of common genre thermalities going through this batch. Uh, so we're going to split it up thusly. These are all <laughs> kind of interesting period pieces from the 1960s and 70s um uh, actually no 1960s 1950s and one from the 1970s so it's kind of split up a little bit but these are all films that are of a kind of historical or epic genre which is something that i don't know if you and i always get in on there's always select ones that rise to the top and i would say there are a couple at least in here that are of that case for me that rise to the top of a genre that i don't always get into or don't always seek out yeah i i think what i've kind of come to with a lot of these historical epics because you know they, they are hard to jive with they're longer they're more languid they're, they're they they kind of have these like interstitials of like very much like play sort of uh uh play exchanges in dialogue before then like uh, tr you know contrasting that with these massive huge vistas etc so mm. it's really kind of they're sometimes a little bit hard to penetrate like they don't like mm. they're not always with you but John Waters used to have a fun saying, the great John Waters, legendary filmmaker and sort of raconteur. And he used to just go like, I never don't enjoy a movie anymore. If I hate the dialogue, mm. I'm looking at the set direction. I look at the yes. things. And I think that with these historical epics, one thing for me that I, that has definitely grown into in my life is I just marvel mm. at the production. I marvel yes. at the scale. Like when you see a... And in, in particularly in one of the uh, one of the movies that we're going to be talking about, we're kind of splitting this week's um, uh, historical epics into two fields. Episode one, we're going to cover sort of the Roman themed historical epic. One uh, Shakespearean, um, the other religious historical epic, um, being Julius Caesar and Barabbas. Um, and then for the second episode, we're going to jump over in this June imprint batch to. Boats. We're going to go all things boats. A night <laughs> to remember, Damn the Defiant, which is also known as HMS Defiant when it came out, and the Longships. But one of the things that I look at, and, and Barabbas we're going to talk about, is when you see a stadium full of people or an mm -hmm. arena full of people, just like you did in Ben-Hur, just like you saw a quarter of a stadium in Gladiator, for example... Yep. That is, there is no trickery. And I think that there's that wonderful, you know, gif that goes around every now and then of like the gla the famous Gladiator Coliseum scene where you see Russell Crowe's Maximus walk into a theater of uh, chaos and carnage and only a quarter of it's filled with people and then the rest is CGI, like duplicating those people. And the thing I love about things like whether it be, you know, Barabbas, whether it be Ben-Hur, is when they walk into these stadiums, these coliseums, and you see... Mm everyone jumping around and going crazy it's filled with thousands and thousands of real people real extras mm. acting 
And and it's just you just I'm just gobsmacked by it. I'm like, I can't believe they could make movies like this. Could you imagine if people were allowed to make movies like this in 2022? That's what I end up thinking and I get so Absolutely. excited about it. It's it's just thrilling. It is it is truly an epic. That is what it is. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's kind of like the hard thing with this genre is you know, we're genre guys, we're cinephiles, but we're also genre guys. And I think part of the joy of going back to these old genre classics is often you will see the forebears of the films that you love today or the films that you loved growing up. And I think with this type of genre, the epic, there is no modern equivalent to it anymore. No, they are not. so rare. There's like maybe these days... Like when they hit, there's maybe one or two a decade. Really, yes. that's all, that's kind of all there is. One or two a decade when they hit. There's always these interesting failed biblical ones along the way. Like I often think of that one uh, starring Joseph Fiennes called Ryzen, which is like a <laughs> detective movie about the rise of Christ. I've never seen it. I'm always desperately curious <laughs> to watch it, but I just have never done it. And I think that's kind of you, like- You, me, and everyone we know have not seen Rising. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think there's also like, there's something about that with like going back to this epic genre. Perhaps that is kind of what keeps us at arm's length is that there is not really the modern equivalent apart from like Gladiator, apart yeah. from like one or two other movies that we watch today. Uh, you know, one that you talk about a lot, which is uh, Master and Commander. Sure. Um they're very, very few and far between. And the two examples I just gave star the same guy, Russell Crowe. <laughs> yeah, you so kind of- I think that's kind of maybe what keeps us at arm's length and what kind of like stops us from fully embracing this genre. But when every now and then when I get the opportunity to go back to these kind of epic pictures, it's that spectacle that gets you. It's this kind of lost art of making big, big motion pictures with lots and lots of stars and lots and lots of extras and lots of, detailed production and interesting thoughts and i do find an appreciation for them every time i go back to them yeah look i i this time around i can just go i'm i'm on a production design watching and if the movie starts to get me and the characters start to get me or parts of the story start to get me that truly is a bonus and for me it's about the scale the filmmaking and just the techniques and the technical like i this is where you fanboy out this is where imprint mm. films is doing its most kind of cherished curatorial things where it's saving prints it's salvaging mm. them and it's even literal architect it's literal <laughs> it's literal archaeology over yeah. here because we're digging up all these old roman ruins yeah and shipwrecks with this one <laughs> We're, we're, we are pillaging uh, ancient artifacts and we're, and we're bringing them back to the contemporary. And so I, I think we're going to take the quickest break so you can hear the first trailer of the first film that we're going to talk about. Imprint Spine Number 132 stars Anthony Quinn, Ernest Borgnine, and a grinning and lunatic Jack Palance of a kind of god-tier level. The film is the religious epic. Barabbas. Who shall it be? This man who many of you call their king? Or shall it be Barabbas? Barabbas! 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 
Barabbas starring Anthony Quinn spared crucifixion when the Jews chose Jesus of Nazareth in his place. Murderer slash thief Barabbas spends his haunted days as a criminal, a prisoner, a gladiator, a man searching for faith who must confront his inner demons to win his freedom. I had kind of seen this one before because I remember not just a few weeks ago, Blake, on Imprint Companion, we were talking about Anthony Quinn and this great documentary feature that appeared on one of the previous Imprint films starring Anthony Quinn. And I have always had a great love for this man, the man that played Alexis Zorbas uh, from <laughs> Zorba the Greek. And I uh, remember watching that very documentary on TV, like on the Fox Classics channel growing up. And Barabbas was a film that always was curious to me from there. And then in my video store days, I remember seeing it in the adventure section and just going, oh, that's that movie. That's the movie about the guy that was spared for Christ. And I remember taking it out and I don't remember if I ever completely watched it. So there's a lot of joy for me seeing this come out on Blu-ray, seeing this pop up in this batch and imprint films and finally watching it. It is such a curious film because it doesn't feel like many of its contemporaries of this epic religious genre of this time. And I think it's because it starts at the place where they all end. It begins at the crucifixion of Christ. Yes. And then it is the journey of this man afterwards coming to grapple with the crucifixion of the man that was in his stead and how his life should live and how he should lead his life after that event. And there's something about this film that feels so tonally different from those. It feels more quietly apocalyptic compared to its contemporaries. There's something about this film that feels like the end of days when the days are for the most part, when you watch these other films or when we think about it historically, when days are just beginning, it's when the freaking counter starts for <laughs> our calendar. And this film deals with it in such an interesting way. It feels more philosophical and more interior than most of these epics. And the way that uh, Richard Fleischer, the director, who has made some really oh interesting God. movies. I love his filmography. Sorely Green, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Conan the Destroyer, which I love. I love both those Conan movies starring Arnie. <laughs> Tora, 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 Fantastic Voyage, I adore. Whatever Happened to the Women at 10 Rollington Place, The Boston Strangler. So many movies that I really, really adore. The way he stages this film, it feels so wonderfully humongous and each image feels so rich powerful and gigantic at a scale that i'm not that used to grappling with i really enjoyed barabbas blake how did you feel about it oh look you you nailed it which is that when you are coming at the end of things at the end of days and ends and beginnings i think sort of transition so beautifully when you're talking about religious epics it's the thing of it is I love how true this movie is to the fact that Barabbas is lost and that he's a thief mm. and that he is just pure id and desire. And at his ugliest moments, that's what he's, he's just <sighs> beating people up. And then at other moments, and he's... that is Anthony Quinn in his element. When oh. he plays id, like when he yeah. plays passion, like you see in Zorba, that is what he does at his finest. And this is all that in a new and interesting way for me. Yeah, so be so wonderful. And uh, I think the things that I love about it is 
although Barabbas is seeming like, and he feels like he's cursed with life. He feel like he's mm. cursed with having to live and to have to find self-definition to actually to, to move beyond and do what he needs to do. And the thing I love, love, love about this is that it doesn't ever feel like Barabbas is going to have this, sorry, sorry for the pun, but it doesn't feel like Barabbas is ever going to have this come to Jesus moment. He's never going to have mm. his road to Damascus moment. In fact, the movie like mm. does this incredible rendering of what it would be like for someone to encounter God after resurrection and actually start yeah. to ask these philosophical questions and have to deal with the lack of comfort that you don't necessarily have the answers. And I love what you also said. The scale of this movie is ridiculous um, mm. in, in, in contemporary terms because you have an entire Jerusalem that is built for just one stanza of this movie. You have this entire Sicilian sulfur mine, which is yeah. another epic set. And that goes through this kind of world of destruction. You have this, you know, uh, uh, you have it like a Roman, uh, a Roman officer on the outskirts of Rome. Who's kind of got his own little fiefdom getting called back to Rome. And then you have this entire Roman exchange and you have all of these movements and all of these massive characters. And, you know, we mentioned Ernest Borgnine up top, but he doesn't come in until like the third act of the movie. Like, he was a surprise to me. One of my favorite guys. I laughed so hard when I saw his face, to be brutally honest. I try not, yeah. I try to stay away from, I love coming into some of these imprint ones that I'm not super familiar with mm. it, other than Barabbas for Anthony Quinn in that great doco we discussed. I was like, oh, I was coming in really lean. I had no clue who was in it. And so for me, it was just so fascinating, not only to see the scale of this thing, but just to see how it has been mined to yeah. take away and make whole movies out of just simple elements of this movie. And so I was, I was loving this dialogue, uh, what it felt like a dialogue for me between William Wyler and Richard mm. Fleischer, both guys had huge movies. You talked about um, yeah. you talked about Richard Fleischer's resume. Wyler, on the other hand, Best Years of Our Lives, Roman Holiday, yeah. Big Country, Ben Hur. Um, you know, these are huge, huge directors making huge, huge movies. And I I really liked Fleischer in this mode. I was just like impressed mm. to hell. And while the entire film doesn't flow to that kind of level. I, I like it doesn't flow to perfection. Doesn't maybe zing the same way that Ben Hurst satisfactorily zing. Mm. Um, what I really liked about it was it's like Anthony Quinn seems the antithesis of Charlton Heston, and this movie yes. seems the antithesis of Ben Hur. And so yeah. for those things, I'm like, I love the dialogue now. It's like this is the mm. perfect if you could ever get print of this, which I know that even at the top of this movie, it says this is the most pristine print we could get because it's so you know, so lost basically to the mm. ages. Um, and so they do a fantastic job of restoring it to the best of their ability. But yeah, man, I was, I was impressed with Barabbas. I had a great time watching it. This was probably one of my favorites of the batch. I, I definitely do have a favorite, but I yeah. was like, wow, this is, this is really special. And our boy, Dino De Laurentiis. Oh my God. He producer. is a maniac. He's a, ma a maniac producer. The only kind of maniac that could produce yeah. this movie is Dino De Laurentiis. <laughs> to have a guy like that, of that tenacity, that pugnacious nature of Dino De Laurentiis, you get so much value out of it in a film like this. I'm going to say this one piece that I believe will be such a, a selling point for people to watch this movie. Um, 
the imagery of the crucifixion, that moment in this film is shot against an actual solar eclipse. What? You will never see imagery like that in any other movie where the actual crucifixion that they're shooting, what I not an actual crucifixion, no one's getting tortured, <laughs> um, but the crucifixion scene that is like, you know, I guess the most iconic scene that's ever happened in the history of mankind is shot against a solar Are eclipse. you shitting? I thought it was... So, that was one of the scenes. I was like, that has to be trickery. It's so stunning. It's real, man. They shot it against a real solar eclipse. I think it might be the first and one of the only times that someone has actually shot a solar eclipse for dramatic effect like that. Dino De Laurentiis. Yeah, and that, I learned about that in this uh, great film historian, Sheldon Hall on Barabbas, which is a bonus feature on here. That was a very informative bonus feature, just a uh, film historian Sheldon Hall talking to camera about Barabbas. It was really great. I, I loved this. I devoured this freaking disc. What I really loved also is the Richard Fleischer looking back uh, interview with the Hollywood director. It was so terrific. Um, he's a legend. Like, his resume is just stupid. And so yeah, um, getting him to, you know, looking back at his career and sort of uh, and, and sort of you know, uh, sharing some of his own personal memories, the things that were highlights, et cetera. It was just, you know, really special. So Barabbas, spine number 132, another Anthony Quinn special from our guys at Imprint. They're doing the Lord's work when they're getting all of his great stuff on there. Now, Lex, shall we introduce another film? I mean, how many times has this movie been adapted? I mean- Oh my gosh. I've seen probably 15 or 16 <laughs> adaptations of this. I actually didn't get a chance to watch this one. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I know you are also a Julius Caesar nerd just like me. And you've probably seen even more adaptations than me. I mean, I know there's at least one you've seen that I haven't, which is the <laughs> one we're talking about today. The 1970 adaptation of William Shakespeare's Julius Caesar starring Charlton Heston and directed by Stuart Burge. What says that to me now? Speak once again. Beware the Ides of Mark. Into what dangers would you lead me, Cassius? That you would have me seek into myself for that which is not in me. Here, the well-beloved Brutus stands. And as he plucked his cursed steel away, Mark of the blood of Caesar followed it. I have the same dagger for myself. When it shall please my country, Thou some god, some angel, or some devil that makes my blood cold and my hair to stare. Speak to me what thou art. Hard for me to assume that you don't, but this is William Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. The powerful, heroic, and flawed emperor Caesar is warned to beware the Ides of March. And with these words, the legendary betrayal by the Roman Senate begins in an epic saga about the controversial leader and his turbulent times. This one, directed by uh, Stuart Burgess, actually adapted for the screen by Robert Furnival, has an amazing cast. I just, I, I really mm. want to firstly dive into the cast of this movie. John Gilgood, who had actually played um, uh, um, a, in another famous adaption of Julius Caesar previously, um, who had played Mark Antony, is now playing Caesar. One of my favorite actors of all time, and I never knew that he did this. And in fact, this is one of my favorite 
roles of all time in theater or cinema. Yeah. Jason Robards plays Marcus Brutus, Etu Brute himself. Charlton, Hans, uh, Charlton Heston plays Mark Antony. Robert Vaughn uh, plays Casca. Richard Chamberlain mm. uh, plays Octavius Caesar. Um, there are so many. Michael Goff um, plays uh, Metellus Simba. Oh, I love Michael Goff. Alfred's Alfred from the Tim Burton Batman movies. Absolutely. Richard Johnson plays Cassius. I would just say this. Uh, we've got Dame Diana Rigg as well in this, right? Oh, there's some rig. There's some rig. And uh, she plays <laughs> Portia. Now, what I would say about this movie is so many people know about the adaptions. Let's just forget about the, the, the larger scale. Firstly, the epic scale of this thing is fantastic. I particularly like the third act in this adaptation of Julius Caesar because the third act is like battles. It's it's when Octavian, wow, okay. It's when Octavius comes along and when Mark Antony comes along and those conflicts actually happening in a countryside that broadly looks like Italian brush. I don't know if it's actually yeah. shot there, but the the fact that they're shooting it and there are some more epic sort of battles and Roman soldiers facing off with one another in these different factions really thought it was done well here. But I just, I can't get past two things. And those things are Jason Robards and Charlton Heston. Jason mm -hmm. Robards as Brutus is phenomenal. Robards I is can see him. I can imagine him. Lex, you know just how well he's able to go from charming, um, mm. influential, tortured, quiet, loud, verbose. Yeah. You know, all those things, all the registers that you need to hit as Brutus, where you're strong, where you're tortured, where you're influenced, when you know that you're being almost led down the garden path, that it feels like destiny is giving you that little nudge that you have to do this. That yeah. I loved so much. And what I have to say about Charlton Heston in this movie, and maybe it's his director, Stuart Burge, or whatever it is, this character, Mark Anthony feels like he's conniving. And in other cool. films, Mark Anthony is this shining moral light. And one mm. of the things I feel is like, one, when you have all the conspirators together and they're talking about Mark Anthony trying to make Caesar a dictator, trying to make Caesar a king, there's a couple of moments in this movie where the moral ambiguity really flips and you go, man, maybe they did have something to worry about because if Mark Anthony is his guy, he's mm. going to do it. And he takes, when he starts to rile up the Romans about the betrayal of the conspirators, he takes a kind of perverse pleasure and although it does end on that, you know, crescendo of, of, of you know, these guys coming to un understand their position in this tumultuous time, I just, I could not get enough of these two guys facing off of one another. And I genuinely think as far as the, 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 the depths of the performance, Charlton Heston wasn't just his usual scene chewing white hat dude. Like he has cool. those, those, those depths to him as Mark Anthony. I thought he did a fantastic job. So again, it's, we're spoiled. It's a 1970s epic. It's the greatest writer ever. Um, and it's people doing this classic story. So I was automatically geared to love this, but discovering a new Robards performance and discovering mm -hmm. a Heston performance that I can really hang on to man i loved it and I, I maybe haven't loved anything that heston's done as much as this since any given sunday where he said that cameron diaz's character would eat her own young um but oh I... come on bowling for columbine's <laughs> awesome <laughs> that's the last great one right but no i i i, I loved it and just to discover robards doing shakespeare was like yeah. i mean that's like a christmas gift uh it, it was really special
And there's a special feature on here that I'm dying to get into when I finally get around to this one, which is called Etu Berger, which is, I guess, the name <laughs> of the filmmaker, which is an interview featuring with the original production crew, including production manager Dennis Johnson Jr., makeup artist, grip, production accountant, and assistant director. So there's something in there where they got so many of the original people back to talk about it. I'm very interested in seeing what that's all about. I didn't get a chance to um, watch that one, but I did watch our boy Matthew Sweet, who did the terrific commentary for The Gambler. He's on a couple of the special features in this June badge um, talking about the film. And uh, really terrific again, um, always entertaining and informative. And uh, so I, I checked out Matthew's uh, um, uh, feature immediately after I watched this. And there's another audio track um, from Cinema Retro's Lee Pfeiffer and uh, film historians Paul Scrabo and Tony Latino that's part of this collection as well. So much to dive into. And like, you know, one of my favorite films of all time is Caesar Must Die, the Taviani brothers, mm. um, sort of uh, mic- blended I documentary. recently had to buy that on DVD, Blake, because it's hard <laughs> to find. It is hard to find. It's so brilliant. Um, and that's my one of my favorite films of all time. And basically, this is my favorite Shakespeare play. So really ticked all the boxes for me. And it was, yeah, it was it was quite wonderful. But yeah, Robards as Brutus, I don't have to sell this to you guys. This shit sells itself. Ooh. Oh, good Lord. We love the pitch like that. (laughs) Well, that has been the first in this two-parter for the June batch of the imprint films that is out. We've finished with our Roman and religious epics. We are diving in to the boats. Das Boat is the second episode or (laughs) Dos Boat because it's our second episode. Um, So we're going to dive into that very shortly. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, You are now, uh, most of the places around the world, you're going to be listening to this on a Sunday. So our next episode is going to be dropping on Wednesday. In between now and then, plenty of great stuff to catch up on. Um, If you guys are listening to us on One Heat Minute Productions at the moment, we have got new episodes of Miami Nice. We've got new episodes of Tokyo Nice. We have our great, um, we have a, a really, really great too much movie episode on the ghost and the darkness. And coming up, it has not dropped yet. We have a special one off singular audio documentary episode honoring the terrific James Khan, the dearly mm. departed and iconic oh, James Khan. We are going to be doing one thief minute. That show so far has guests like Alexi Toliopoulos, the guy you're listening to right now yes, with me. Yes, I'm going to talk about one of my all-time heroes, James Kahn. I can't wait. New York Times bestselling author Sean Cosby, author and and Edgar-winning author of She Rides Shotgun, Jordan Harper, the great film critic and podcaster of Watch With Jen, Jen Johans. Oh, wow. Our own One Heat Minute family member, Travis Woods, is going to come on there and talk about it, but... And probably most importantly, Jim Belushi, co-star of Thief, is coming on to One Heat Minute Productions to talk about it. So when you guys are listening to this, just know that we have secured that interview. We'll be talking to him about it. And we are very excited um, for him to be on the show. And uh, truly... uh, this that was a celebrity loss that was so devastating to me personally, yeah. and 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 deal and you guys know listening to imprint films how much James Khan is one of our guys. We've talked about yeah, you know we've talked about uh, uh, several of his films um over this you know Lady in a Cage, The Gambler particularly. I haven't yeah. even brought myself to watching The Gambler again, but imprint films has done such a spectacular job with that movie that it's you know I'm just grateful that I have it in my collection. 
Um, but and no, there's that-, that other one that's in the uh, is it flesh and bone that's flesh in the noir box set? Flesh and bone yeah. in the noir box set, also there too. So so much James Khan that's in imprint films already, but that was very special. So we'll be talking about Thief there. Um, and and sorry to end on that somber note, but to lift you up over at the Total Reboot feed. Mm-hmm. I got to join Mr. Alexi Toliopoulos for not only one, but two films, Le Cirque Rouge, and then a special banger to close out their heist miniseries, Heat, with he and Cameron James. It was super special. What else have you lads got cooking up for us, Alexi? Well, we're taking a little break after that explosive Heat episode, which I would put up there the top 10 all-time Total Reboot <laughs> episodes. It's oh, so, so good. It so was fun. so good to get Blake out of retirement for just one more <laughs> Heat discussion. And uh, then we're taking a couple of weeks off, but we're coming back very soon with a big mini series. It's called Blockbuster Summer of 1982. We're looking at the films that are all celebrating their 40th anniversary this time of year the films like et conan the barbarian blade runner all of these great films that came out 40 years ago this summer uh we're going to look at that with lots of rose tinted lenses with lots of nostalgia and kind of figuring out why these films still matter so much 40 years later guys thank you so much for listening to imprint companion whether you're listening to our imprint companion feed or in one hit meter productions in the blues brothers feed we will catch you on the second june episode and then we will also preview the upcoming amazing july batch for you as well but all right pull on your pantaloons let's get in some boats i'm gonna walk the freaking plank with you brother